0: people will never remain free, if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem, government is the problem. Praise and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. This is Eurofolk Radio, and this is the Restoration Hour of December 3rd, 2022, and today we're going to continue our study of the star of Remphan, falsely called the star of David by the Jews, and of course we find the whole world believes that the star of David, because the Jews teach this, is the star of King David of Israel, tribe of Judah. No, it wasn't. King David never used such a symbol. But the Jews must pretend that they are descended from the house of Israel, specifically from the house of Judah. Therefore, they make up all this mythology about themselves. And even though in part one of this series, and uh, this probably is going to be the conclusion of the series here on the Star of Remphan and the, the six-pointed star of, uh, you know, the uh, hexagram is really what it is. And we've been reading from an article from Commentary, which is a Jewish source. So, I mean, the Jews admit, let's, let's put it this way, just about everything the Christian world has accused the Jews of doing, of course, in their infidelity to the Holy Scriptures, the Jews admit to. <laughs> you don't have to look hard to find a Jew to admit. Yeah, we did that. Try and stop us. Try uh, see if you can overpower our our power of the press and communication and history. We have rewritten your history for you, Christians. We have rewritten your history for you, Muslims. We have because we have total power of all means of communication in the world today, and we can shut people up with our money. And if they don't shut up with our money, we'll break their legs. And if that doesn't work, we'll assassinate them. That's how Judaism works, folks. Okay. Well, of course, they won't admit to being assassins. And Oh, yeah, well, actually, they will. I mean, there have been books written by Jews, you know, about the Mossad and about the, uh, well, who are their civilian counterparts, the Sianim, the Sianim who work for the Mossad. These are civilian Jews in every country in the world that work for the Mossad for free. Spies. This is the real nature of Judaism, and that's why we here at Eurofolk Folk Radio are trying to reveal what Judaism really is, as opposed to the mythology that virtually everyone on the planet believes, okay? There's only two groups, really, that suspect Judaism of being a phony religion, and that's us and Christian identity, but there are a few mainstream Christian ministers and theologians who understand these things as well, but they don't get any airtime, and many of them are simply afraid to speak out. But uh, for the most part, the vast majority of Christians simply believe whatever the Jews say, and they believe this myth, that the Star of David is the Star of King David. And of course, this author, Gershom Sholem, from commentary, admits it. That's not the Star of King David. And uh, doing research on this on the internet, I've found that many, many Christian websites actually understand this. Yet, you never hear about it. It just, again, proves that the Jews control mass media. They rewrite history for us, and uh, they get rid of our politicians, uh, like, like Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy and Harrison and, and many others who... Buck, their Antichrist system. So let's continue now. I'm going to pick it up from part one. There's no pages in this uh, commentary article, but it's roughly just past the middle, and I'm going to refer to the writing of Psalm 67 by the author here. Uh, The writing of Psalm 67 in the shape of the menorah became very widespread after the 15th century. And uh, part one of this article that we did last week uh, goes into uh, numerous proofs that the so-called shield of David was never used by David. (laughs) Never. Uh, There was a menorah, yeah, but not a star of David, not the hexagram. So it continues. It was the custom to read this psalm during the seven weeks between Passover and Shavuot, which must mean Pentecost. And in all the special prayer books for this period, it was so written. Hence, across the custom arose the custom of using this image in synagogues and other places. So this is the 15th century, folks. The 15th century. And King David lived around 1000, no, well, not that. Yeah, around 1000 B.C somewhere around there, okay? So, uh, no, this is what, 2,500 years later that the Jews invented this symbol and attributed it to King David, okay? Hence arose the custom of using this image in synagogues and other places, and the Kabbalists, now we're talking Judaism, Kabbalism, gave its talismanic virtue unlimited praise. Talismanic, that's a symbol of magic, folks. At the end of a booklet entitled The Golden Menorah, printed in Prague in the 16th century, we read, This psalm, together with the menorah, is an allusion or reference to great things. And King David used to bear this psalm inscribed, pictured, and engraved on his shield, on a sheet of gold, in the shape of the menorah, when he went forth to battle, and he would meditate on its mystery and conquer, unquote. Now, there's no comparison between a hexagram and a menorah. A menorah is the seven-pointed ca- seven, seven candlestick of the Israelites. The Jews have added two more, so the Jews have a nine-pointed candlestick, and similarly in many other books. Okay, so here, here we see there was a menorah, not a hexagram. It would seem, however, that the talismanic power of the star representation of the shield of David was more tried and true, so that it has won over, over its representation in the form of menorah, even on the modern battlefield of Jewish symbolism. Okay, So the rabbis duke it up amongst themselves as to what symbols the Jews will present to the world. So here we see, and uh, there's many other sources, like I said, you can do a search of this on the Internet, M- Mogan David, the uh, is, is the so-called Star of David really the Star of King David? You do similar searches like that, and you'll find lots of articles on the subject, and you will realize that uh, there are many, many theologians and historians who know that it's fake. The idea that, and of course, it's on the Israeli flag. They're pretending that it's a symbol of King David. Let's continue. Until the 17th century, the two terms shield of David and seal of Solomon are used indiscriminately. But slowly, perhaps under the influence of Christian usage, the second term becomes applicable only to the five-pointed star. It was at the beginning of the 18th century that the term shield of David assumed the fixed meaning it bears today. So, only, only a couple hundred years ago. The Christians began to use this term, and we have a number of booklets from that period in Latin and German containing explanations of the Star of David and allegorical sermons on it in the spirit of the alchemists. Homilies like these were entirely foreign to the spirit of the Jewish preachers of that generation. Oh, no, you blame the Christians, right? They always blame the Christians. Nonetheless, even among them, there was one who began to interpret it as the symbol of the kingdom of the house of David. Abraham Hayim Hakohen, oh, that sounds like a Christian of Nicholsburg, wrote in his commentary on Psalms, which is first printed in 1750, quote, "For there was a difference between the shields of the kings of Israel and those of the kingdom of the house of David, in that the kings of Israel had a shield with three sides, i.e., I. triangular." To show that the house of David had a valid claim to the quality of kingship. That doesn't make any sense. Why would the kings of Israel, who are the kings of the separated ten tribes, a completely separate dynasty of kings, why would they have a, tri- a triangle to show that the house of David had a valid claim to the quality of kingship? That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Why would that make validity to the house of David? None. Anyway, we have here then an interpretation of the symbol, not as a talisman, but as representing kingship. The emanation of kingship, which is the congregation of Israel above and the kingdom of the house of David. Below, well, I can assure you, folks, that the congregation of Israel was an earthly congregation. <laughs> so I guess what he's saying is that the upper triangle represents the Israelites, which the Jews falsely came to be, and the kingdom of, of the house of David below. So I'm, I think that's what he's saying here, is that the hexagram means these two things, or now has come to mean these two things. Let's continue. Indeed, we find a similar interpretation again in a very striking context, in which the magical career of the shield of David reached its zenith. Can't get any higher than that, folks. Here the symbol casts off its swaddling clothes of magic, (laughs) oh no, to rise to the vision of approaching redemption as proclaimed by the false Messiah of the seventeenth century, Sabbatai Zevi. So it rises to the level of yellow journalism, folks, and mythology. This critical turning point is concealed in the celebrated amulets of R. Jonathan, oh boy, Eibeschutz, E-Y-B-E-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z, that should be an umlaut, Rabbi Jonathan Eibeschutz. All his amulets include the shield of David, the only image to be found in them. Uh, amulets in which are inscribed formulas like seal alone or seal of MBD or seal of MBID or even seal of the God of Israel. In his defense of these amulets, Rabbi Jonathan took refuge behind the magical meaning of the image, and he denied any symbolic value to this sign from a Jewish point of view. So it's not Jewish at all, according to the guy who, <laughs> who started people using it. It was not so with those who sought to decipher his amulets. They explained his predilection for this image by its Sabbat sab- uh, should be Sabbatarian, but it says sab- Sabbatian, Sabbatian significance, so I guess Sabbatai Levi is who the refers to Sabbatian significance, their interpretation was that for Rabbi Jonathan, the shield of David had become a messianic symbol. Oh, so this is how the Jews become their own messiah. They compared the inscriptions within the images in many of his amulets and they discovered in them a Sabbatean reference. MBD stood for Messiah Ben David. And so on, and that's not King David, that's some medieval rabbi claiming to be Messiah. They were certainly not arbitrary in interpreting the matter in this fashion, though we must not be astonished that Rabbi Jonathan did not admit their charges. We find ourselves before these alternatives. If Rabbi Jonathan was not secretly a Sabbatian, then his amulets have no symbolic meaning at all. And are nothing but magical mumbo-jumbo. That's what Kabbalah is, folks. It's magical mumbo-jumbo. That's what Judaism is, folks. Mumbo-jumbo. Okay? So, this is a very revealing article written by a Jew. It's amazing. Okay? So, if he was uh, so, so let me uh, continue here. If he was a Sabbatean, then we are compelled to admit that the character of the symbol in his amulets is a great innovation. The Jews are great at inventing things that are untrue. And that Rabbi Jonathan was the first to see in the shield of David a highly meaningful symbol, although a very private and esoteric symbol, of a mystic vision of redemption. Well, of course, that's why it's on the star of the Israeli flag, because they are their own redeemers. This was not only the shield of David, but the shield of the son of David as well. And we're still not talking about King David. We must confess that all this is enormously stimulating to us of this generation. (laughs) Yeah, the Jews love to be stimulated. And they use their mythology to stimulate us in the wrong direction. The modern interpretation of the shield of David as the symbol of redemption, which even determined the name of Franz Rosenzweig's profound book, The Star of Redemption. It sounds very interesting, like the star of (laughs) Remphan. Redemption, Remphan. If you say it quickly in Yiddish, Remphan, der Stem der Erlösung. The star. It should be their Stern. Again, there's a lot of typos in this article. Actually first emerged from the Sabbatean prattlings of Messianic redemption, which was mystically alluded to in the combinations of letters in amulets. Oh, the Jews love playing word games and letter games. It is greatly to be doubted whether the fathers of Zionism, when they accepted the shield of David and the symbol of the movement for the revival of Juzrael knew that perhaps in this respect also they were in tune with the secret thought of the greatest among the Sabbatean believers. I'm sure they did. Because every Jew, especially every prominent Jew, knows that Judaism is a crock of mythology and lies. So as long as they can pull the wool over our eyes, they will continue preaching this crock of mythology and lies. Continuing, entirely different from the first magical root is the second root from which the general and broader use of the Shield of David grew. That is, its official use in the seals of several Jewish communities. The quote-unquote official use of the Shield of David began in Prague and spread out from that city in the 17th and 18th centuries through Moravia and Austria, We do not know whether the Jews freely chose this emblem for the sign on their flags or whether it was thrust upon them by the Christian authorities. Well, blame the Christians in any case. That's what you have to do. You always blame the Christians, okay? It's the Christians that make us do evil. That's the favorite Jewish refrain. It's the Christians who made us moneylenders and usurers and international bankers. It's the Christians' fault. In surviving notes on the contents of ancient documents concerning the Jewish community of Prague, which were destroyed by fire more than two centuries ago, it is said that the emperor Charles IV in 1354 gave the Jews, quote, the freedom to bear a flag as a special token of his grace to the Jews of the city. Now, you have to understand that that Jews are a metropolitan people. They're not farmers. They're not carpenters and bricklayers. They are metropolitan people. They're, they're commerce-oriented. All Jews are commerce-oriented. And there, there, is no, there is no such thing as a Jewish carpenter or a Jewish fisherman or a Jewish sailor. Never has been, never will be, because they are land-loving city dwellers. That's what they are. That's what they always have been. So in a, in the last program, I talked about the yellow star, yellow symbols, yellow armbands, yellow shields that Jews wore either voluntarily or were forced to wear by their Christian rulers. Okay, that has a very old history again. But here, again, in current times, We only hear about the the yellow star that the Nazis made the Jews wear. No, this goes back way into history, at least a 1,000 years ago. So the Nazis weren't the first and only ones to do this. In fact, the Jews often did this themselves to differentiate themselves from non-Jews. Okay, but uh, let's continue here. So Emperor Charles IV, in 1354 gave the Jews the freedom or privilege to bear a flag as a special token of his grace to the Jews of the city. And very often, the cities in which the Jews lived, which almost always had a Christian, we're talking about Europe, a Christian ruler, were often the tax collectors for that ruler. And they loaned that ruler money if the ruler needed it. And this is how the Jews finagled their way into power in these city, states, and countries. Always to the detriment of the Christian population. You could almost say, well, very similar to the relationship the Jews had with the Romans in the days of Yahshua the Christ. The Jews formed an intermediary between the Roman occupying government and military, and the true Judahites of Palestine. So they were the intermediaries. They made sure that the tax collecting was done, and many of them were the tax collectors. Many of the scribes and Pharisees, fulfilled, and even some of the Sadducees fulfilled that role. And that's how they were able to influence Pontius Pilate to get, turn have, have, them, have him turn Yahshua Messiah over to them, so that they could execute him, because they threatened Pontius Pilate with, well, if you don't execute him or allow us to execute him, we will raise a fuss and an insurrection, and the tax money flowing from here to Rome will stop. And that would be a very great blot on the record of Pontius Pilate. So that, that type of relationship, the Jews have exploited throughout history. But now they're on top, Mystery Babylon being totally run by Jews worldwide, starting with the UN, United Nations, the EU, Europe, uh, well, European Union—that's the same thing, NATO, and of course the Bank of England and the various banking, so-called national banks around the world, which are private banks in reality run by Jews. That's Mystery Babylon. Okay, so now there is no—they don't have to please any Christian monarchs anymore not since the days of Napoleon. So, they rule the world through their banking operations, period. They are Mystery Babylon. So, let's continue here. This is no mere legend, (laughs) since we later find the flag mentioned in the Chronicles of Prague Jewry as a well-known thing. In 1527, the authorities ordered the Jews of Prague to greet Emperor Ferdinand I on his entry into the city with their flag. On this flag was a large shield of David, that is a hexagram, not in the form of a five-pointer star, as some books would have it. If in that early period the Jews of Prague already saw in the symbol King David's shield, according to the tradition of the German Hasidim, so the Hasidim have been around for a long time, the Hasidic Jews of New York, for example, They're actually the worst, the most uh, ultra-Orthodox, racist Jews of all. But let's continue. So we're we're finding that this six-pointed star has simply been invented by various factions of the Jewish community in more recent history. All right? This is what we're finding out. The original flag... Oh, wait a minute. uh, I don't want to skip this. In light of the unbroken tradition of this symbol among the Jews of Prague, however, there is cause for the belief that this was a deliberately chosen symbol of the Jewish pride, of Jewish pride, and a memento, as it were, of the days of old, how old, maybe a couple of years ago, a couple of years before, or to the days of Zabbatai Levi, <laughs> and, and, and other Kabbalistic Jews and rabbis. The original flag was not preserved, but a new one was made in the days of Emperor Ferdinand, and when it was damaged in the course of the years, still another was made in 1716, which is kept to this very day in the Alt Neuschul Synagogue, Apparently, the authorities of the state had no less respect for the flag than the Jews. Since in 1716, they fined the elders of the community for not taking proper care of it and allowing it to be damaged. Now you can blame the Christians for accusing the Jews of not taking care of their own flag. (laughs) In contradiction... We have the testimony of Hungarian historians that on the flag with which the Jews of Ofen, O-F-E-N, greeted King Matthias of Hungary in 1476, there were two five-pointed stars, but not the six-pointed shield of Rabbi David. So I'm just going to call it the shield of Rabbi David from now on because it's not King David. Here certainly was no recognition of the unique quality of the six-pointed shield of Rabbi David as a representation of the congregation of Jewsrael before the world. Even until the beginning of the 17th century, of course, the Sephardic Jews are Edomites and Canaanites, not Israelites. Everybody should know that, just to remind you. maybe, Maybe I should quote... The scripture here because this is a good yeah, this is a good time to bring it up. From second Kings chapter seventeen, this is right after the Assyrians took the entire northern kingdom of Israel, also referred to as Samaria in those days, captive and shipped them off to the north and east. Which is northern Mesopotamia, and to, to be slaves to the Assyrians. Second King seventeen twenty nine tells us. Let me back up because obviously the Israelites were are supposed to be monotheists, but they have given that up numerous times in history, and Yahweh has punished our people for sinking into idolatry and worshiping lesser gods time and time again. So I'll start here at 2 Kings 17.27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the god of the land. So this is because the people that were imported into Samaria by the Assyrians from other places to take the place of the israelites who used to dwell there these newbies n- new inhabitants were being attacked by lions and the lions were killing these people that had, had just settled there you know at the will of the assyrians and so they were inquired well what is the local god what is the god of the land that we need to pray to to get these lions to stop killing us right and so the king of Assyria said, well, I'll fetch an Israelite of the ten northern tribes who were selected from the lowest of the people of Israel, and I'll import that priest to teach these non-Israelites the religion of the Israelites. So here in Second Kings 17.27 is proof positive that non-Israelites began practicing our religion this is where the jews got the idea to impersonate us verse 28 then one of the priests whom they had carried away from samaria came and dwelt in bethel and taught them how they should fear yahweh but of course these people are heathen they don't fear yahweh all they did for a brief while because all these heathen and pagans, they'll worship any god to appease, you know, they'll appease them all just in case they might get the right one. Verse 29, howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, these high places were built by the Israelites of Samaria, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. So all of these imported people started using these high places, these pagan ritual high places, which the Israelites, had, the northern tribes, had been practicing. And they started worshiping their own gods there. Plus, as it turns out, now Yahweh will find out here. Verse 30 And the men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth. And the men of Cuth made Nergal. And these are the gods they worship. And the men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sepharvites burnt their children in fire to Adremelech and Anemelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. Do you recognize the word Sepharvaim and Sephar? These are the Sephardic Babylonians that came from Babylon. These are the Sephardic Jews that were imported from Babylon to Samaria by the king of Assyria. So there's your Babylonian connection to the Edomites of Judea. Of course, once the Israelites of Judah were taken captive to Babylon for their own good, according to Yahweh, these Sepharvaim, these Babylonian Sepharvaim started mingling with the Edomite Jews, non Israelites that is Edomite Jews. And this is where the Edomites got their banking practices from. Those are the very banksters that Jesus Christ, with his own whip, turned over their money tables and drove them away from the temple. This hybrid religion called Judaism began right here, folks. Second Kings 17.31. Then it continues here. So they feared Yahweh. And made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places. So the Jews do the same thing. They take the, the, the least the least qualified people and make rabbis out of them, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared Yahweh and but served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. So, so here we see that they did not worship Yahweh as the creator of the universe the one true god they simply worshiped him as just another god among many others very important passages from second kings chapter 17 so let's get back to our text here this is very revealing information folks very revealing information so let's continue Oh wait a minute! Wrong, wrong article. Have to go back. Here we go. So, <laughs> so we're still with the Jewish community of Prague, and we see that the two five-pointed stars were the fashion in the year 1476 in Hungary. but there was no recognition of the unique six-pointed shield of Rabbi David. Certainly not, that's not the symbol the Jews presented of themselves to the world. Continuing, even until the beginning of the 17th century, that's 1600, 1601, the two stars were still vying with each other in Prague, though by this time the use of the term shield of Rabbi David or Shield of David, had become current among the Jews of Prague. When the emperor in 1622 granted a coat of arms to Jacob Bessevi, alias von Treyenfeld, that's a very unusual name for a Jew, Mr. Trufield, <laughs> because, or, or trustworthy, a trustworthy Jew, the first Jew in Prague and all the empire to be ennobled, his escutcheon bore three five-pointed stars, one beneath the other in a diagonal line, for the apparent purpose of serving as a clue to his Jewishness. On the other hand, on the tombstone of the historian David Kahn's K-A-N-S, who died in 1613, there is a six-pointed shield of Rabbi David, just as his last book, published a year before his death, is called by this name. Shield of David. From the old banner, the six-pointed star seems to have been taken over into the seal of the Jewish community. We find it as the main ornament on the title page of the first Hebrew book printed in Prague on Hanukkah in 1512. In another book printed in Prague in 1522, it is found together with the city's coat of arms, thereby indicating its quasi-official status. As I said earlier, The Jews of the big cities served as tax collectors, moneylenders, and advisors to kings and queens and emperors and mayors. When, in 1627, Emperor Ferdinand II approved again the old seal of the Prague community, outside the six sides of the star was spelled out Magen David, with one consonant in each of the six spaces. From then on, the six-pointed shield of David is used communally in a number of different places in Prague, on the seals of societies and individuals, on tombstones, on synagogue structures, and the ironwork of the synagogue BIMA, B-I-M-A-H, whatever that is, on the tower of the Jewish council's building. Now remember, the Jews always have their Jewish councils of leadership, their elders as it were, which had strict rule over the Jewish people in whatever city or country they lived. They still have that relationship today. As Benjamin Franklin termed it, they have a state within the state. And they don't like it when the Goyim forced Jews to obey the Goyim's laws. So they always band together against the Goyim, in whatever country they happen to live, and refuse to obey laws of Christianity, for sure. Huh, check this out, folks. From Prague, this official use of the symbol spread out. In 1655, it is found on the seal of the Viennese community, and in 1690, on the seal of the community of Kremsir, or Kremsier, in Moravia. On the wall of the old synagogue of the community of Budweis. Budweiser, beer, anybody? <laughs> Budweiss, B-U-D-W-E-I-S, Southern Bohemia, which was abandoned by the Jews in 1641. There are representations of shields of David alternating with roses. Apparently, this is the oldest synagogue outside of Prague on which this symbol is to be found. In his youth, Rabbi Jonathan Eibischitz, might have been able to see it on the seal of the community of Iveshitz. A number of communities in Moravia used used a seal, or as a seal, the shield of David alone, with the addition of the name of the community. Others had on their seals a lion holding the shield of David, like the community of Weiskirchen, which means white church, at the beginning of the 18th century. In very isolated instances, the figure of the shield of Rabbi David, was used in southern Germany also, doubtless under the influence of the Prague community. I'm nearing the end of this article, and we should get this in in today's show. We have about 20 minutes left. So we see here that the so-called Star of David never was the Star of King David, it's actually the star of Remphan, which is just another pagan god, which the Edomites used and the Canaanites used in their rituals. Unfortunately, the Israelites, certainly the ones of the northern ten tribes, also worshiped pagan gods as they had become paganized from the very moment that the ten northern tribes split off from the house of Judah, around 900 B.C. So let's continue. In other countries, we do not generally find the shield of David in use before the beginning of the 19th century, either on community seals, or on the curtains of the Ark, or on Torah mantles. In books printed outside of Prague, it was used as a printer's mark only by the printers of the Foa family, F-O-A, it appears in their books from 1551 to the beginning of the 19th century. Their family coat of arms has a palm tree, among the leaves of which a shield of Rabbi David is fixed, grasped by two lions. No other printer used it, and it is clear that the emblem had no Jewish meaning, or Israelite meaning. Printers who imitated the foa mark at the beginning of the 18th century omitted the shield of David and retained only the palm tree and the two lions. Next section here. Apparently, the prime motive for the remarkably wide diffusion of the shield of Rabbi David in the 19th century was a desire to imitate Christianity. Oh no, blame the Christians! Not again. <laughs> Just like Hanukkah is an imitation of Christmas, right? Right? The Jewish children feel left out. They see all the Christian children getting presents, but their stingy parents won't give them any. (laughs) Okay. Let me repeat this. This is incredible. Apparently, the prime motive of the remarkably wide diffusion of the shield of Rabbi David in the 19th century was the desire to imitate Christianity. Christianity. The Jews of the era of emancipation, seeing the symbol of Christianity everywhere, sought a symbol of Judaism. Envy. Jewish envy of Christianity. How about that? If Judaism is the Mosaic religion, why should it not properly have a striking and simple sign of recognition? Like the other religions. Yeah. <laughs> it only occurred to them 1,700 years after the fact, the new emancipated Jews desired to erect above the walls of the synagogue something resembling the symbol of the cross. And this is what led to the ascendancy of the shield of Rabbi David in the 19th century and helped it to become widely used on ceremonial objects as well. It was from the enlightened West that the symbol of Jewishness passed to Poland and Russia. And, of course, now it's on the flag of Israel. The use of amulets was still very widespread, especially in the East. And the devout, uh, he's talking about among the Jews, and the devout did not trouble themselves with complex thoughts. The mimicry of Christianity inherent in the choice of the symbol was confused with its talismanic and magical properties to which they had become accustomed, especially the simple folk, from countless countless. Amulets. Well, you know, you, you saw how many not zombie movies, but uh, Dracula movies have you seen, where the victim pulls out a cross and uses it as a a, a source of power or amulet against Dracula and against werewolves, etc. Okay, this was very common in those days. Still is, I think. <laughs> Although. The, do, the dollar sign has become a more potent symbol of power than anything else these days. But let's continue. Thenceforth, the shield of David, Rabbi David began to be introduced everywhere on the walls, on the windows and roofs of synagogues, on tombstones and metals, as though it were from Sinai. as though it were from Sinai. In their pursuit of a useful symbol and in their impulse toward mimicry, (laughs) it did not occur to the builders of the new synagogues that intrinsically the symbol did not stand for anything. Yes, it did. It it stood for witchcraft. The Star of Remphed. As if admitted previously in the same article. And consequently, that it did not have the deep roots drenched in meaning other than the occult of the cross in the religious world of Christianity. As I concluded last week's session, saying only Christianity has a historical basis. All other religions are simply made up of whole cloth because why? They are idolatry. They simply make their religion up as they go along. As late as 1854, G. Wolf wrote in Vienna that he was very well acquainted with the spirit of the Jews of Moravia and that the whole of the pious Jews' belief in the shield of Rabbi David was that it would protect him against any malevolent assault by his enemies. He did not say that it had a value as a symbol of the pious Jews' Judaism, certainly not Mosaism, in the sense that the the cross had religious meaning for the Christian. As I stated, Christianity is the only truly historic religion in the world. The upshot of the matter is this. In the very days of its greatest popularity, the shield of Rabbi David was a meaningless symbol of Judaism. And the Judaism of those days in turn tended to be meaningless. It still is, folks. Except it's been elevated to elevate the Jews above the rest of the world. Fulfilling their dreams of themselves being their own messiah. It required more than a preacher's sermon's, however, admirable intent to breathe life into a symbol. The successful and empty career of the shield of Rabbi David during the 19th century is in some measure a token of the Jewish decadence of that century. Since when is Judaism not decadent? Then the Zionists came seeking to restore the ancient glories, or more correctly, to change the face of their people, uh, to find a country to settle in, because they were a countryless, nationless people wandering around the world, especially following us, true Israelites, wherever we go, to siphon off our prosperity like the parasitic religion Judaism is, which of course was the curse put upon Cain that he would grovel and eat our dust. As we travel around the world, and they would follow us. Continuing, when they chose it as a symbol for Zionism at, the, Zionism at the Basel Congress of 1897, the Shield of David was possessed of two virtues that met the requirements of men in quest of a symbol. On the one hand, its wide diffusion during the previous century, its appearance on every new synagogue, on the stationery of many charitable organizations. Can you imagine how the, the Washington Redskins? <laughs> how much money they had to spend to change it from the Redskins to the commanders? I Actually called up their uh, publicity organization and said, hey, why don't you change it to the Washington Rednecks? All they had to do was put a cowboy hat on that Indian. That wouldn't be racist, would it? Would the black players on the Washington Redskins object to being called Rednecks? Well, Symbols are important, are they not? Here we go. So, its wide diffusion during the previous century, its appearance on every new synagogue, on the stationery of many charitable organizations, etc., had made it known to everybody. And on the other hand, it was not explicitly identified with a religious association in the consciousness of their contemporaries. Because there are a lot of atheistic Jews, folks. Irreligious Jews but they still tend to practice the corrupt business practices of Judaism. This lack became its virtue. The symbol did not arouse memories of the past. It could be filled with hope for the future. Yeah, let's exploit the Goyim even more. But even Zionism did not so much to confer do so much to confer the sacredness of a true symbol on the shield of Rabbi David, as did that mad dictator who made of it a badge of shame for millions of our people. Of course, they're referring to Adolf Hitler, who compelled them to wear it publicly on their clothing as the badge of exclusion and of eventual extermination. Here we go with the Holocaust mythology again. But as I started off the the first part of this series saying, The Nazis weren't the first people to make Jews wear yellow symbols. That had been the case for over a thousand years. Under this sign, they moved along on the road of horror and degradation, struggling heroes. Now, you cannot forget that the Jews declared an economic boycott against the German nation in 1933, six years before war broke out. And this boycott led to a lot of starvation and suffering by the German people. They always forget to mention that the Jews are the authors of their own persecution. It's always retribution, not persecution. If there be such a thing as a soil that grows meaning for symbols, this is it. Yeah, well, I mean, they have exploited that tremendously, right? But they never talk about the transfer agreement by which the Zionists and the Nazis together moved the Jews of Germany to Israel. Just read the book, The Transfer Agreement, by Edwin Black, a Chicago Jew, who tells the whole story. There was even a coin minted with the so-called Star of Rabbi David on one side and a swastika on the other, showing the cooperation between the Nazis and the Jews to get the Jews out of Germany because they needed to have bodies to pretend to be Israel when they took over Palestine. They will never talk about this, the transfer agreement. So they invented the Holocaust to cover up their complicity in moving unwilling Jews out of Europe and placing them in an arid desert called Palestine, which was never their homeland ever, except for the Edomite Jews, the Sephardic Jews, who are Edomites to begin with and lived to the south and west of the tribe of Judah, for a a millennia if not longer okay let's continue if there be such a thing as a soil that grows meaning for symbols this is it yeah the imagination of jews that the holocaust took place some have said the sign under which they went into destruction and to the gas chambers those imaginary gas chambers deserves to be discarded for a sign that will signify life but the Jews are not a people that worship life. The Jews are a people that worship death. And their financing of wars proves they have never. They have made a covenant with death. But it is also possible to think in the opposite fashion. The sign that in our days was sanctified by suffering and torture has won its right to be the sign that will light up the road of construction and of life. You think so? You think that Zionism is going to lead the world to peace and safety, prosperity? You got another guest coming, Jew, Mr. Gosham, <laughs> or, or Sholem, rather. Quote, the going down is the prelude to the raising up. Where it was humbled, there you will find it exalted. Well, that goes for Christianity as well, because remember, in the early days of Christianity, there was tremendous persecution of the Christian world. We are revisiting that persecution by the Jews against Christianity in the current world. And it may get a little worse before it gets any better. At least we the true Israelites of the world, the Christian Israelites of the world, we have the one and only true God on our side. If only we Israelites would confer with him and pray to him, Yahweh, and his son, Yahshua. But the vast majority of Judeo-Christians have become fat and lazy and do not pray anymore. They rely on that dollar sign symbol. And even that, cross symbol, which no longer means what it used to. So, one more uh, article here, with about seven minutes left. This is a Muslim site, themuslimskeptic.com, entitled, The Polytheistic Roots of the Star of David. Well, I told you, quoting from Second uh, from Second Kings 17, that its polytheistic roots began right after the Assyrians took the Israelites of the 10 northern tribes out of Samaria and plucked all of these pagan people there in our place. So I doubt that this Muslim site gets into that sort of detail, but let's see what they have to say here. And... The pagan roots of Judaism. The polyistic roots of the star of Remphan. The six-sided star is one of the most prevalent and easily recognizable modern-day symbols. It is also famously promoted as the star of David, by which he means the star of King David, of course. Interestingly, however, no scripture mentions a star being used by David, King David. Yes, you read that right. (laughs) There is no biblical or Talmudic origin for this symbol. Well, Talmudic, yes, but way, way later in history, the Talmud, the writing down of the Talmud took a thousand years from the death of Yahshua Messiah to about 1000 AD when it was put put to print. There is no biblical or Talmudic origin for this symbol, he says. In fact, according to Haaretz, the six-sided star was not always associated with Judaism, but was adopted later on, and we just went through that. The earliest association of the six-sided star with the Jews was in 1354. Smithsonian Magazine agrees with Haaretz on the fact that the six-sided star is neither the oldest nor the only image associated with Judaism, This very same sentiment is also expressed by the Jewish Board of Education. So it's commonly understood by just about everybody except Christians and and pagans, white pagans, and white nationalists, that the so-called Star of David has never been a reference to King David. According to the United Methodist Church, the six-sided star is referred to as the Creator Star, can't be. That's another. That's more misinformation. According to the Jews, the six points of the star point towards the six attributes of God, wisdom, majesty, power, love, mercy, and justice. According to the Christians, it is called the creator star. I've never heard that. I've never heard any, any Christian group referring to it as the creator star. It is the star of Remphan. It is the hexagram of witchcraft is what it is. But, of course, the United Methodist Church is a very, very liberal <laughs> church. Okay. And it signifies that each entity of the Trinity was present at creation. So that's how they interpret it. Furthermore, the Trinity is represented by three equal sides, indicating that no single entity dominates the others. Well, that's a, a convenient invention of symbolism for a, a star that existed has existed for millennia, but not as a symbol of either Israel, King David, or even Judaism. According to the Universal Jewish Encyclopedia, the six-sided star was known to ancient Egyptians, and their religion was predominantly sun worship. They also worshipped the swastika. Israeli scholar Gershom Sholem, whose article we just read, wrote a very enlightening research paper entitled The Curious History of the Six-Pointed Star, How the Magen David Became the Jewish Symbol, when he clearly states, and it's worth repeating, actually the six-pointed star is not a Jewish symbol. A e, fortiori, it could not be the symbol of Judaism. It has none of the criteria that marks the nature and development of the true symbol. It does not express any idea. It does not arouse ancient associations rooted in our experiences. And it is not a shorthand representation of an entire spiritual reality understood immediately by the observer. Yeah, what does it mean to them? It means domination of the present order. It does not remind us of anything in biblical or in rabbinic Judaism. Well, of course, the rabbis eventually adopted it. So continuing with this Muslim article, what does the six-sided star symbol mean? Where does the six-sided star come from? Academic sources claim it comes from the polytheistic Babylonians, Egyptians, and Assyrians. Israelites worshiped the star gods such as Remphan and Chian which were five-sided or six-sided stars. Study the following biblical passages and see how the people were rebuked for taking on the worship of the star gods. But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chihun, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. That's Amos 5.26. This is Yahweh chastising the Israelites for picking up these pagan practices. And, quote, Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Acts 7.43 This is the Apostle Stephen reminding the Israelites of their bad behavior in the previous millennium. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. This is yourfolkradio.com where the truth is rains and lies fall thank you very much praise that way. pass the ammunition take care everybody free people will never remain free if they are not willing if need be to fight for their vital interests. in this present crisis Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Grace Cal and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.